listening to Bible Study Monday on this October the 28th in the year of our Lord 2019. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and last week we talked about the Reformation. This week we're going to be talking about All Saints Day, which occurs on November the 3rd, 2019, in most worship services. All Saints Day. It is kind of like an interruption in light of the fact that we are talking about All Saints Day rather than a Sunday after Pentecost. But pretty soon we're going to be having the last Sundays in Pentecost moving into Advent and Christmas. So All Saints Day is, as I indicated, an interruption in the regular church year when I was a pastor at St. James Lutheran Church. We would announce the names of those who had died since the last All Saints Day and ring a bell in honor of them. And so it's an important day, particularly for relatives of the deceased. The readings are from Revelation, 1 John, and Matthew 5. We're going to be taking a look at Revelation. Revelation, what happened to the Old Testament reading? Well, if you'll recall last week for a Reformation Day, Revelation also was the first reading. And it kind of went in place of the Old Testament reading. Now, there is an Old Testament reading. It's Psalm 149. But... For this particular holy day, holiday, we're going to be talking about Revelation chapter 7, uh, 2 to 17. Now, verses 2 through 8 are part of the text, but they don't need to be read because he talks about the 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. And then he goes through... 12,000 from the tribe of Judah and Reuben and Gad and Asher and Naphtali, Manasseh, Simeon, Levi, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, and Benjamin. 12,000 from each one of them. But the main text begins with verse 8. So, I'm sorry, verse 9. After this I looked... And behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Now, this is really critical. It's the Jehovah Witnesses that believe that only 144,000 are going to be in heaven and the rest of us are going to be on a new earth. Well, this certainly contradicts that because it says very clearly that it was a great multitude that no one could number. Now, they just finished numbering uh, those from the various tribes, 12,000. So this is greater than the 144,000. And where are they standing? Before the throne and before the Lamb. That's in heaven. So the 144,000, we believe, because it says they were sealed, is kind of a 
number referring to the number of elect on the earth at the time. It's a perfect number from each tribe. And that's very important to understand because that's in contrast to the great multitude that's going to be in heaven from every nation. And they're clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. Now, why that? Well, when's the last time you remember palm branches were used? That's correct. It's talking about when Jesus came into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. And all of the saints in heaven, having palm branches in their hand, are therefore welcoming the Christ into their midst. But why in white robes? Uh, Yesterday when I was preaching, I was talking about that. I began the sermon by asking, how many of you put your hand up if you believe you're righteous enough to go to heaven? And nobody put their hand up. And of course, the sermon for Reformation made the point that you got to stop thinking from your point of view. I said, every sermon is to get you to think like God. And therefore, when you hear a theological question, don't answer it from how you think about it. Answer it from how God thinks about it. So repeating the question, how many of you are righteous enough to go to heaven? Well, from God's point of view, every believer is righteous enough to go to heaven because Christ has died for their sins. And guess what? The believers are wearing the robe of righteousness. And I pointed out that that's what part of the clothing I had on was a white robe. We call it a surplus. Some call it a wear on alb. And that's signifying that we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. So we are righteous enough to go to heaven. But our old Adam gets in the way all the time. Because as soon as you hear the word righteous, what do you think about? Works. Like if um, somebody asked me, you have three children, are they righteous children? I would immediately think they're asking about works. And they said, yes, they obey everything I tell them to. Until they were about three years old. But the fact of the matter is, righteousness doesn't necessarily be equivalent to what is obedient. Righteousness is a stance that God regards you as having, even though you are a sinner. Now, there's something that you should challenge me on. And remember what I've said? Anytime I say something that, boy, where does he get that from? Challenge me, and it's got to come from the Scripture. And what comes from the scripture? Well, God came to Abraham one day and said, your 65-year-old wife, you and she are going to have a baby, and through him will come the line to the Messiah. Now, Sarah laughed, but Abraham believed, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. What was accounted to him? His behavior? No, he remained a sinner what was accounted to him for righteousness was his trust in the promises of God. 
No other religion has this. No other religion in the world reveals that you are saved by trusting the promises of your idol. No. It's always salvation on the basis of your works. That's the difference between Christianity and every other religion in the world. That's what the Reformation is all about. And so you can imagine those clothed in white robes, palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Now, who are these people doing this? It's All Saints Day. And so this text was chosen as a reading because this is referring to those elect who have died in the faith and will definitely, on the day of judgment, have restored to them their bodies, and they will be singing, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Well, isn't the Lamb sitting on the throne? Well, if you take a look at Daniel 7 and Revelation uh, chapter 1 and Revelation particularly chapter 4 and 5, you will find that Jesus is at the right hand of the one who sits on the throne. He He's not lesser in majesty or lesser in divinity. He is fully God with all the attributes that God the Father has. But, He is the one in Daniel 7, referred to as the Son of Man, that God sent into the world to save it. And so, therefore, salvation belongs to the one who sits on the throne. That's the Father. Read Revelation chapter 4. And to the Lamb, where he comes in his ascension in chapter 5. Verse 11. We're in Revelation 7. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God. Now, obviously, these are the angels that did not rebel against God. We call those that rebelled against God not just angels, but demons with Lucifer as their head. And what are they saying? these righteous angels who did not rebel against God. Amen is the first word that's in our text. And that's just kind of a word of oath. We often use the amen at the end of hymns. And what does that mean? Well, you'll sing a hymn and then you end with amen, which says, this I believe, this is true. So they begin, amen. This is true. What's true? Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Now, remember, this is after Revelation 5, where Jesus appeared as a slain lamb at his ascension. And they sang these particular words not only to God the Father, but also to God the Son, to receive blessing and glory and wisdom, etc. And that is forever and ever. So that's the experience that All Saints Day is trying to help us to remember, 
that they are going to be with God eternally. But one of the elders addressed me saying, who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? Now, the elder, there were 24 elders in chapter 4 and 5 of Revelation, referring, we believe, to the 12 tribes and the 12 apostles, one elder for each. And who is he asking the question to? Well, to the writer of Revelation, who in a vision has seen all this, and that's John on the island of Patmos. So who are these clothed in white robes? And John says to him, Sir, you know. And then the elder says, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. See, this is why a lot of people can't believe the Bible, because it doesn't seem to make any sense. If they're washing their robes in the blood of the Lamb, who is Jesus, then how come they become white? I had a professor who was uh, one of the members of my congregation at Washington University, and um, he showed me how if you put certain liquids together, they both may be clear, and it changes color. And so I was able to make different colors with the liquids just by putting another liquid in it. And it was really quite interesting. So here, when they wash their robes in the blood of the lamb, they come out white. Because that's purification. That's holiness. And how have we washed our robes? That sounds like something we've done. Well, it's something that was done to us in the waters of baptism. When you bring a child to baptism and baptize them into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they are becoming a member of the family of God. And now where they were once a member of the kingdom of Satan, they are now a member of the kingdom of God. Totally different. Therefore, verse 15, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Now, that can be understood even by Sunday school children, that... They're coming home from school, maybe a hard day at school. Uh, Maybe some people are making fun of them. But when they get home and with their parents, as soon as they get in the house, they feel sheltered because they are with their parents. And that's a wonderful, wonderful experience. So it's not at all hard to understand how the saints believe that they are sheltered by God himself, who sits on the throne. And then there's certain benefits that the saints in heaven have. 16, they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. Now, I take that to mean 
that there's going to be food in heaven and drink. In fact, Jesus himself says, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until later on, which could mean heaven. So no more hunger, no more thirst. And when you go outside and it's really, really, really hot, some people have an umbrella, some people put ointment on their skin. You won't have to worry about that. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. Now, there's another passage in the scripture that talks about that there's no need for the sun because Christ is the light of the world. But Dr. Brighton, in his commentary, made it very clear that that's not saying that there is no sun. It's just that there's not a need for the sun because of the brightness of Jesus Christ. But the sun will not strike us, nor any scorching heat. Yeah, yesterday I was driving back from preaching, and it was about a 160-mile trip, and I was going into the sun. And you got to bring your blinder down that's on the car, because if you don't, that sun can really be striking you in the eyes, and it'd be hard to see. And fortunately, I was in a car that I could turn the air conditioning on when needed. So these are wonderful, wonderful gifts that God gives us in heaven. That all the ailments that occurred here on earth shall not be going on in heaven. And the time that that will be is forever Verse 17, and that kind of is ending our text for this coming Sunday. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. Notice he's not sitting on the throne. God the Father's sitting on the throne, but he's in the midst of the throne. So there's no distinction between the Father and the Son in regard to their attributes, in regard to their divinity, their power, their omniscience, and whatever else we think about when we think about God. In fact, in chapter 1 of Revelation, Jesus is described the same way the Ancient of Days is in Daniel 7. They they look the same, and that's because they're both God. So they shall hunger no more. We've looked at that. Verse 17, for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water. Remember the reason why God removed Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden? It's so that they would not eat from the tree of life. Well, if they ate from the tree of life, then they would never die. But because of sin, their bodies would be decaying. And by now, everybody in the world would be basically in a hospice where they were unable to move. Maybe they would be unconscious, but they would never die. That's a terrible thing, that you'll never die, but continue to grow old, etc., But here it says he'll be their shepherd. And what does a shepherd do? 
He leads the sheep to springs of water. Remember Psalm 23, Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Now, why still waters? Because if they go near raging waters and they go to take a drink, well, the fur on them, or whatever it's called on sheep, can make them sink into the water. This shepherd leads them to springs of living water. So the water would be springing up and they could easily drink from it and continue to live. Now, this is all metaphorical. It means that we are going to be living forever because of our shepherd. So we've already seen that in this heaven, there's no more hunger, no more thirst, no more sun striking us, no more scorching heat. And the last phrase of this passage shows another benefit. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Boy, that's something you have to believe. Because if I go to heaven, let me repeat that. When I go to heaven, because I am baptized, when I go to heaven and realize that maybe a good friend of mine isn't there, how will I not be sad about that? I don't know. But you won't be. Because you will have the mind of God to a greater degree than we now have. And that's really critical to understand that. And that's why God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And wiping away every tear from their eyes simply means that we will be in eternal bliss. That's something we have to believe because it seems not to make sense. There are going to be people in heaven whose spouses are not there with them or some of their children because they fell from the faith or never were in the faith. How can you not have a tear for that? So is anybody going to be in tears in heaven? Well, the answer is, yes, there is someone. And that's going to be God. Because God will know who is in hell. And remember Jesus? He wept a couple of times in the Bible. Once was at the death of Lazarus. But the other time was when he looked over the sheep in Jerusalem that he wanted to gather together and they would not. And he wept over that. Well, God's going to be aware of that in heaven also. So the bliss will be really with those of us who have come to a realization of all the benefits that we don't deserve but are receiving from God because he washed us in the blood of the Lamb. Yeah, the blood of the Lamb is absolutely critical. And that's what our message is for many people. So All Saints Day has got some good teaching 
and some good long gospel where many people are afraid of death. But the gospel shows it's going to be a wonderful place. On tomorrow's long gospel, we're going to be looking with Mark Smith, the hymn For All of the Saints, and learn some more about All Saints Day. By the way, we're long gospel. We got a little bit of money come in. We're about $6,500 short for the year. So if any of you are able to uh, share with us uh, a gift, listen right after as this program is ending. It'll give you the address and how to write the check out if you want an IRS deduction uh, and where to mail it to. Uh, we really appreciate that because we love to stay on the air and we have various expenses that need to be covered. About 6500 short. I'm Tom Baker. Till tomorrow's law and gospel then, God bless. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962.